this morning's scripture reading. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Sion more than all of the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said to the city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush, and will say, This one was born in Sion. Indeed, of Sion it will be said, This one and that one were born, born in her, and the Most High himself was, will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, This one was born in Sion. As they make music, they will sing, All my fountains are in you. Let's pray together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time to hear from your word. We pray that we would have uh, an appropriate sense of trembling before your word, that you would have the final say in our lives. Because you're God who speaks truth. You are truth, but you also speak with compassion. You're telling us what's good for us, what might save our lives. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you would give us love for Christ as we see him in your word. And we pray that you would change us. Come now. Be present in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every September, we kick off the fall season with a sermon series on the vision of our church, trying to add, answer this question, you know, what is the mission of Grace Meridian Hill? What are we all about as a church? And you can find the answer to that question, in part, on page eight of your bulletins. I'd like to actually ask you to turn there and look there with me at our quick statement of our vision and our mission. And I'd like to ask that we actually read it together right now, if you're comfortable with reading. If you're not, that's okay. You can just listen along and just take it all in. So if you could drop your eyes down to where it says our mission, let's read together. Our mission is to build a gospel community that is spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood-centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, and beyond. These four weeks, we're taking one component of that mission statement, and we're focusing on its meaning, looking at different passages from Scripture, seeing where do these foundations lie, and where does this take us as a church today? We're focusing on our commitment to be and to become a cross-cultural community. We are at Grace Meridian Hill committed to gathering an ethnically and culturally mixed group of people. We're committed to, as best as we can by God's grace, giving up our own comfort for the comfort of others. We're committed to forming intentional, even sacrificial friendships across racial differences, to building mutually dependent 
I need you and you need me relationships to daring to form wonderfully messy friendships as we learn step by step to talk honestly about racial wounds with honesty and repentance and forgiveness and by God's grace with healing. So whether if you are today Latino or white or black or Native American or Asian or biracial or if you're Venezuelan or Zimbabwean or Belgian or Kenyan Chinese American or Tennessean four generations deep or if you're just your own people group called Californian <laughs> my roots or if you call yourself black American or whether or not you know what you are in your ethnic makeup the point is not the terminology necessarily Whoever you are, we want you to know that you are an integral part of our mission. That we want you to believe yourself to be someone that belongs here. That you feel like this is home. And together we want to learn how to embrace one another as God has embraced us through Jesus. We want to be a cross-cultural community. By God's grace, he's giving us progress on that front. By God's passion, we want to see more progress on that front. Today, we're looking at, briefly, one place in the Bible that speaks to this vision, and that's Psalm 87. It's a psalm, which is an ancient Old Testament song or poem it's a song addressed not to a person, not to oneself. In fact, it's a song to a city, a heavenly city called Zion. You say, what's Zion? In the Old Testament, Zion, it was a synonym for the city of Jerusalem, Israel's capital city. Sometimes more specifically, Zion referred to the hill upon which Israel's temple was located. In fact, because the idea of Zion was so bound up with the temple, which was sort of the local address of the God of the universe as he showed up in communion with his people, because the idea of Zion was so bound up with the promise of God's presence here on earth, what we find is that in the prophetic literature, in the poetical literature in the Old Testament, that Zion begins to be used more symbolically, almost dreamily, to describe the day when God would return, when God would make all things right, when God's perfect presence and glory would fill all things. In other words, Zion, in a word, symbolized heaven. So in the New Testament, in places like 1 Peter chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 12, the Christian life itself is described as a foretaste of the heavenly Zion, a foretaste of heaven. And the church herself, you, are described as a mini-model of Zion here on earth. The primary place where God's will is done on earth, it is, it is in heaven. See, this is a song 
about Zion, the heavenly city. It's a song about Zion, that is what heaven will be like one day, what the heavenly community in the church today ought to be like here and now, which is why it's fascinating to hear this song describe a city that is absolutely cross-cultural in its vision, in its composition, in its people. As it says in verse 3, glorious things are said of you, city of God. What is it that makes it so glorious? In part here, I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush. Peoples from all over the world, cultures, that each individually uniquely reflect the image and the glory and the radiance of God coming together as one people, transformed by the grace of God, welcomed by the goodness and the truth of God in Christ. In a day of heightened racial polarization across our nation, in a day Indeed, I would say of racial awakening across the American church. We need a vision, a fresh vision of Zion, this heavenly cross-cultural city. And we need to pray that that city might be manifest in our own city here little by little, and that that city, this Zion, would be manifest even in our own relationships, in our church, here, Grace Meridian Hill. Many nations represented, cultures, ethnicities, and races gathered around the person of Christ. But who were these nations listed here? Did you notice in this great poem, this great song? Who were these peoples, these ethnic groups listed here? Do you know that Rahab was a poetic nickname for Egypt? The land of the people who had enslaved the Israelites, who were the first audience members to this great uh, song. The first people to sing this song, singing about Egypt. Babylon, who brutally crushed their nation, destroyed their temple, raped and pillaged their people, where everything that was held sacred was destroyed as they watched their own people trafficked as slaves into exile. This Babylon, Philistia, with whom Israel found herself in perpetual military conflict, killing thousands of their men on the battlefield at a time in one conflict we know from the Old Testament, losing up to 30,000 foot soldiers, recorded in 1 Samuel 4. Tyre, a culturally Canaanite city, listed as one of the chief enemies of the people of Israel, Cush, also known as Nubia, the southern region of Egypt, now modern-day Ethiopia. 
Here were nations, peoples, ethnicities that you might have found on Israel's original most wanted list, don't you see? Here is a city that's including even those who are counted as former enemies. Zion isn't a mere city of multi-ethnicity. It's a city of healed hostility. A city of reconciliation. It would have been shocking to the average Israelite, even scandalous, for them to hear that the grace of God would include even such as these. And so don't you see, it begins this healing of hostility with humility. It's called repentance. This need for honest conversation about the wounds we have in the past and even today in the present caused one another. Are we a community that can name the hostility, that can acknowledge the enmity, the discomfort, including our indifference towards racial wounds and injustice, as they say, it's not hate that's the opposite of animosity, but apathy, indifference. You don't exist to me, you nor your wounds, you see. It starts with repentance. Acknowledging the pain, the wounds, the histories. Who are the ones that are hardest for you to love, friends? People perhaps whom you've hated or who have hated you. Because it's far too easy these days for us to simply say, I'm not racist, I don't have that as a problem. When all of us in one way or another are embroiled in the fabric of enmity and hostility. I saw recently a, a wonderful little follow-up show to the tragedy in Charleston. It was hosted on PBS. It was called After Charleston or America After Charleston. Different interviews and panel discussion amongst different people that are invested in the racial healing of our country, including some who were members of Emmanuel AME Church, the church that was bludgeoned by this racial hatred on that terrible day. Willie McGee, who I believe was a leader, definitely a member of that church, Willie Glee, had these words to share in that show, which I thought was helpful. He said, we need to have the conversation, but the conversation can only be had when we start to tell the truth about our nation, about our churches, about ourselves. Appreciated steps that we tried to take in our midst in the week following this Charleston shooting when we hosted here along with our other Grace network congregations, an evening that we call Charleston Prayer, a time when we were crying out for God to heal us as a nation, as a people, as a church, asking for redemption and reconciliation, but starting with repentance. I just wanted to share with you some things that some of you, uh, members, peers of yours, 
shared as their confessions on behalf of themselves, on behalf of the church, on behalf of our nation. Ways in which we need to be more honest, more upfront, that we need to ask for God's healing as well as forgiveness from one another. And listen as you can for things that you can amen even today in your hearts. Things that you can make your own confession before the Lord. Listen here. We repent for not honoring the incredible value that diversity brings to our lives and community. We are sorry for first seeing other instead of sister and brother. And by the way, these are things that were written on little note cards and then submitted to the group. I confess self-justification, someone wrote, a desire to excuse, downplay, or personally distance myself from racial oppression. I confess that the church has been too often captive to our culture rather than speaking prophetically. I confess our moral blindness. This was again a group that was racially mixed across the board, a joy to be a part. Another person, I can be so racist, so quick to judge, ignore, and dismiss. Lord, create in me a new heart. Help me to see people the way you see them. We confess our indifference, our fear of honest conversation. On behalf of our nation, we are sorry for allowing the suppression of truth. Lord, forgive me for the ways I've been complicit in systemic racism. For when I've been blind to my white privilege, when I've prejudged others based on race, class, and education, when I've been too fearful or insecure to pursue those different from me. And confess the role the church has played in affirming racial stereotypes. I confess my unbelief that you, God, are bigger and more powerful than the hate and implicit bias. I confess forgiveness is harder, getting harder, and tiring. I confess my racist, prejudiced, bigoted heart has taken comfort in my quote-unquote elevated status as a white male in certain settings in DC. So often people of color are asked to extend grace as the minority change my heart, change my family's heart, my white brothers and sisters' hearts, give us and bring us repentance and help us to ask for grace and forgiveness. I confess that most of the time I walk down the street, I ignore those different than me, perpetuating the racism ingrained in our city and society and not acting like the child of God who is an agent of reconciliation and love. I confess my pride thinking I'm above racism. I confess my ignorance. Father, forgive me for giving up on people holding out small hope in what you will do to bring transformation. I, I, I confess my own complacency and inaction. My heart has broken, but I've done nothing. I confess that I disobey you, but thank you for your constant love. I'm sorry for avoiding conflict. And that, my friends, richly, was but a fraction of what was shared that night. You can find the rest on our website as we posted those. You could add your own, I know you can. Israel was invited as the people of God to add their own as they were confronted with the reality and the possibility of reconciliation by the grace of God being in the presence, the fellowship of those with whom they historically have shared animosity. You could add your own. I will personally add my own. 
I've shared with you in the past my own struggles with resentment over many years towards Mexicans. After rough, many rough run-ins with boys in junior high, carrying that resentment in my heart for a long time until more or less relatively recently, you know, because I can almost still hear the voices, hey Chino, how's your mom? Again and again. More recently, I've been starting to put words to what I'm identifying in my heart as cultural scorn, in fact, towards other Southeast Asians. Those of Vietnamese or Cambodian or Burmese or Indonesian descent. It breaks my heart because I count many friends as those who are close and dear, but also with whom I have this inwired and ingrained, culturally taught sort of disdain or scorn or judgment that just lingers there and I'm committed to turning away from it. I confess struggles over many years of bias and prejudice towards those that come from the white south. And some of you maybe having heard or felt perhaps over the years that we've been building this community some of that rub course, it breaks my heart as well because some of my dearest friends are richly proud members of uh, the South, people that are friends, loved ones, partners in ministries, uh, and it breaks my heart to know that I have sinned against you. I see more now than I ever have how much in early life that I simply even blindly just took ad full advantage of our country's legal and economic and educational systems. Fully unaware, but I would say maybe willfully blinded to the way in which those systems too often work to the disadvantage and all too often even to the death of black and brown people in this nation. I'm seeing how much that I, in my subconsciousness and even sometimes in conscious conversation, have believed the myth of black criminality. That somehow, somehow, our African American brothers and sisters are intrinsically inclined to do bad or to deserve the sort of incarceration that is epidemic in our nation. I'm coming to grapple with just how much even internalized racism, as they call it, I have harbored in my heart, even being embarrassed about Korean culture, I myself as a Korean American, or having disdain towards Korean churches, seeing them at times as inferior, even taking twisted pride in not being a part of Korean culture racist thoughts and attitudes to say the least. I have friends confess these things before God asking him to forgive me and change me by God's grace. I know he has been changing me. I can rejoice in that. But I ask for your forgiveness also. And I ask for your partnership in changing also. Will you join me in being a reconciling community like this. Some will say this kind of talk creates more division. Can't we just 
bury it and move on and move forward. And the reality is we know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know the division, the wounds are already there. It's just a question of whether or not we're confronting them and seeking genuine healing in them. Of course, we need more than conversation. It needs to turn to action. In that same documentary, I think Cornell Brooks, the president of the NAACP, has some good words where he affirmed the value of prayer and conversation, but he also said, you have to pray with your feet. It's one thing to have conversation. We also have to have mobilization. We tap the power of faith, but it's faith in action. And so we pray and we talk and we engage and we repent, but also we move and we act, not only individually, but as a body, saying no to racism, both personal as well as systemic and institutional, and saying yes to justice, saying no to hostility and bigotry, and saying yes to wholeness and harmony. Will we join together in word and in deed? And you say, but how? How can we do this? It feels impossible. It feels too much. Many have tried. In fact, you know, maybe you have yourself and you're ready to give up. Do you know that it's a city, this Zion, not just of multi-ethnicity, but a city of new birth? starting all over again. A city of great spiritual power, power that we find here right at the center of this verse. The refrain that we're given again and again. Let's begin again in verse 4. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the people, this one was born in Zion. This great declaration with great permanence, we're given this language of it being written in the book of life and the record of heaven. That these former enemies now coming together in the presence of God are not simply sojourners passing through, are not simply welcomed or tolerated visitors to this city, this kingdom, but rather they are born inhabitants, citizens with full rights and belonging as a family, this one, these ones, all of you in Christ, born in Zion. It's the language of new identity, you see. The language of a birth certificate that I might be from here or there ethnically and humanly, but by the transforming power of Christ, one can say where I'm most from is Zion. That we may be from this place or that group, from this region or that people group, 
But in Christ, where we're all from is Zion. The unity that comes from transformed identity. That while this doesn't make us colorblind as if to expect God and his people to look the other way and deny the importance of cultural identity, no, heaven will not be a post-racial, post-ethnic society. In fact, what we find in Revelation 21 is picking up this imagery of Zion, the city of God. We're told that there the nations will walk people of every tribe, language, and ethnicity. And the kings of earth will bring into the city the glory and honor of all ethnicities in heaven. No, not colorblind but rather a deeper and truer anchor of one's soul and personhood put in the person and the cross of Christ. The foundation of our unity to say that, yes, I am Korean-American and proud and yet also broken. It's true. But what I am most and first is a brother in Christ. To not deny one or the other, but to know what is most fundamental to who we are as we gather as a people of Zion. It's new identity, this language of being born there. It's new family. You've been brought into an intimate place of belonging. Do you know that God has made you into a son or daughter? You, a former enemy of the king selfish in your sin and opposed to his grace, that if you embrace his son Jesus, he will make you a son, a daughter, forgiven, formerly a stranger, now made a family member, legitimate heirs in the family of God with full rights of inheritance as a child of the king. Not only new identity and new family, but new status as one who has been born in Zion. Because there, there are no second-class citizens. That God has accepted you and welcomed you as equal partners and family members and citizens in his place. Which is why it's important for us to go out of our way to affirm things like the phrasing, yes, even the phrasing of Black Lives Matter. To acknowledge that because historically, legally, African Americans have not been treated with the same honor and equity as other groups in this country, that therefore, in order for us to be a society, and I will say a church, in which all lives matter, yes, that is the goal, black and brown lives must matter more than it has historically, legally, and economically. To put appropriate focus on areas of injustice and weakness and brokenness in order that we might be, starting with the church, a people with commonality and shared birthrights in his kingdom, a Zion with no second-class citizens, a kingdom of Zion. 
And you'll notice here, of course, at the bottom of it all is this language of being born into this place. It points, of course, not simply to a new identity and family and status, but a new spiritual life. What brings you into this city? What gives you the spiritual power for this sort of reconciliation, friends? Which gives you the endurance to hang in there even as you take the hits of misunderstanding of wounding conversations, of frustrating interactions, yes, even with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, is the experience of the grace of God. That you've been, yes, in Christ, born in Zion, given heavenly new birth, You've been raised to life spiritually. You were dead, but now you're alive. As the Gospel of John in chapter 1 puts it, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or will, but born of God. It's the experience of the grace of God that gives us the forgiveness of our sins that then gives us power to forgive others. It's the knowledge not just that you're called to be reconciled, but that you've been reconciled to God. The chief one that you have shown hostility towards and enmity against, that he has made things right with you in Christ. It's through the power of that engagement, that relationship, that you now have power to engage and reconcile with one another. What will give me new eyes to see, but resurrection eyes, being born all over again to be able to see people as God sees them made in the image of God, radiant with dignity, and if in Christ, then also brothers and sisters in Christ's family. What gives me humility to engage in this way is a cross-cultural family, but the grace of God, which uniquely has the power to undercut all forms of superiority and indifference. The grace of God that tells me that there's nothing I could do or be constitutionally or ethnically that would merit greater favor or blessing or acceptance before God. It's all by His grace. Grace is the great leveling of the plain, the great leveler of the playing field, the one that brings all of us to our knees as common sinners before God, the one that lifts us up together as common redeemed people before Jesus. Grace is the thing, the reality of God's heart communicated to us through the cross that gives us this new identity, brings us into new family with a new status that we can look out to one another and say, yes, you, my brother and my sister, this one was born in Zion. And that one, you, born in Zion. That we have our differences and even sometimes disagreements, but you are born in Zion. That you come from a different place and we're figuring this thing out 
And we need to talk more honestly, and we need to forgive, and we need to repent. But you, if you are in Christ, my black brother, my brown sister, my Guatemalan friend, my Salvadorian neighbor, my Pennsylvanian Amish-rooted dear white brother, my Tennessean sister, my Chinese-American co-worker, all if in Christ it can be said of you, this one was born in Zion. And as that grace enters into our hearts, as we bear before one another in this world this new spiritual birth certificate, then we begin to see the reality of this new city emerge in our midst. A little foretaste of Zion in these pews. A little flash of Zion in your neighborhood groups, in your mom's group. A little urgency to see more of Zion in our neighborhood. To see more of this city of Washington, D.C. become more of a reflection of that city one day to come. Little by little breaking into this world through Christ's church that we would desire, labor for, and long for more and more of this cross-cultural Zion. This one was born in her. That one was born in her. And I close with this final thought. In the very beginning of this psalm, we're told that it's a city that God loves. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings in Jacob. I ask you simply, will we be a church that doesn't treat indifferently but loves with God passionately this city, this mission for an ethnically mixed gathering of God's people. Will you and I personally not just labor for this vision, but love this vision for a multicultural Zion imaging church? And lastly, we're reminded that it's a city of divine origins. Right from the start in verse 1, we're told, He has founded his city on the holy mountain. Verse 5 again, Indeed of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her. The Most High himself will establish her. He must establish her, which is why I call you to pray. Yes, to labor and to love, but all our labor and all our love are in vain if we are not calling before us the power of the Most High, the power of the grace of God, the reconciling blood of Jesus to be at work amongst us. We need to pray because this is a supernatural enterprise that we're discussing here. Cross-cultural community doesn't happen by human will or decision, but by the grace of God. Will you pray this vision Will you pray that we become a cross-cultural community more and more? Will you pray declaring these words over yourself and over one another? O city of Zion, this one was born in Zion. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do this in our midst. 
We pray your blessing upon our desire to see you do your cross-cultural Zion work here in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing. Thou who art 
amen. Why don't you have a seat? We like to pause at this time for some Q&A, a chance for you to ask questions based upon the teaching or the passage. Any question is 